Welcome to Brothers King Talk. Once again, my name is Samuel. And I'm JP, and we are taking you back in time once again to look at the year-end uh, Billboard number one singles through the years. Yes. How are you doing today, um, Samuel? I am doing okay. Um, I'm just uh, hanging out at my, uh, my new desk, my new office slash studio. It's a lot of fun. Sounds so, good. Sounds good. Let's go ahead. Um, let's go back to 1964 and um i personally feel like we're getting ready to embark on a bit of a doozy not so much because of the song itself but because the band we're talking about sure um in 1964 the number one billboard song of the year was i want to hold your hand by the beatles Mm -hmm. yes the beatles i mean like it's like we talked about a few weeks ago how the Beach Boys are an institution. Right. The Beatles are like the music institution. institution. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, something I want to throw out here. It, so my fact this week is, in fact, about the Beatles. Um, and it really showcases the, the scale uh, on which they are. So let me, let me take you back here. So in 1964, in February, the Beatles would appear for the first time on the Ed Sullivan Show. Um, and some records show that the amount of viewers watching was around 73 million. 73 million. So to put that into perspective, let's, uh, let's think about modern day. Um, and I would say that probably one of the biggest acts to appear on, uh, you know, a late night television show recently has probably been BTS, you know, the Korean pop boy band group. Um, they're arguably, okay, one of the yeah. world's, they're arguably one of the world's most popular groups at the moment. And when they made their appearance on the tonight show with Jimmy Fallon, um, and if you factor in YouTube views for the performance that they did, uh, at grand central station with Fallon, that only amounts to 27 million views. Uh, and that's in a day and age where most of us has reg have regular access to the internet and widespread access to the to television. So 73 million just absolutely blows my mind. Oh, yeah. And beyond that, the Beatles are the top-selling music act in all of history, Like, period. If you amount up every single sold every album sold, mm -hmm. etc. they are number one. Right. And everything sold. So it's, um, yeah, this is, this is nuts. All right. So I want to hold your hand. Um, JP, do you want to, do you want to kick us off on this one? Well, yeah, yeah. And I, and I can definitely do that for you. So right off the bat, I, I'm going to have to call this out. Um, now you may not know it. I'm sure our listeners probably don't know it, but I will say this. I am not exactly a fan of the Beatles. Now I was waiting for you to say that. Like, um, <laughs> I, now, I don't know if you've mentioned it or not, but <laughs> I, I'm sure at some point in time I've mentioned, you know, the Beatles, not really my thing, but I'm sure I can get, uh, I'm sure I'll get lots of hate for that. Uh, but for whatever reason, I've never been able to really sit down and enjoy what I'm listening to. Um, there are just other groups that I'd rather be listening to. But, you know, with that out of the way, um, let's take let's I'm going to try and take a look at this song without using my bias. 
Um, but I'm sure that's going to be a little hard. But I'll start off by talking about the music here. So, uh, you know, when I actually listen to the music, I, I do really enjoy it. Um, you know, the way that the guitars and the drums uh, go in and out from a really driving chorus uh, to a much softer guitar centric verse. It's it's really pleasing uh, to and from. It's like this uh, to and from that, you know, I can almost overall uh, see the overall appeal of the group. You know, it's catchy, it's easy to follow, and it's even easier to remember. Uh, but overall, uh, I wouldn't say it's anything remarkable. You know, uh, so I'm kind of surprised that this is on our list um, at all, listening to the song now and seeing how far we've come with all music, as well as different songs that the Beatles had, uh, in, have like kind of in their uh, catalog. Okay, I got you. Um, as for me, so you know me, I'm a history buff. Um, for one, I am a Beatles fan. Um, they're in my like, it, it's not going to sound like much to some people. They're in my top like 15 bands mm-hmm. um, of all time, which for me is a lot because I'm very picky about my music. Right. And so I, I love the Beatles, and um, they're one of the most well documented artists I like because. Yeah. They're just such a, a cash cow and everything. Oh, yeah. So um, this song in particular, um, from their early days, before I feel like they really got their uh, some of their better music out, with that said, this was the Beatles' first huge hit in America, mm-hmm. but not in England. In England, they were already superstars. This is what brought them to America. Mm. And... With that final push to the U.S. at this time in history, they probably became the biggest band in the world. Right. And it's impressive to say, like, through ebbs and flows, they've never stopped being the biggest band in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also talked earlier about how this was the first decade with music marketed directly to teenagers. Yeah. And th- this song and the Beatles in general cemented that generation divide where – okay, now your parents have something they can hate, um, rather because of their haircuts, because it was too fast. Um, Even some critics didn't like them at the time. Um, They just were different, just not like, you know, the the good down-home music. We Like, if you kind of look through our records, um, the closest we've had to this has been in the past three years. So um, knowing how culture works, it probably takes three years for a lot of parents to even notice what's happening on a larger scale. <laughs> yeah. And you couldn't friggin' escape this at the time. Absolutely. Um, so with that said, um, what I focused on first were actually the lyrics. Um, Paul McCartney and John Lennon are considered one of the great duos of uh, writing pop songs. I think the lyrics um, kind of represent that really well in this song. They're innocent okay. enough, and they're really perfect for that fangirl demographic. And what I mean by that um, is if you actually look at their lyrics compared to other love songs of the times, and even since, mm-hmm. they write a lot of songs that are um, positioned like they're talking to the listener. Yeah. And um, it actually went a long way. Like nowadays, we take crazy fan culture and fangirls and – and when I say fangirls, I mean guys or girls, whatever. Sure. And we take all that for granted. But the thing to remember is this was just being invented. The band, as we know it, was just mm-hmm. being invented back in the 60s. 
Yeah. And so this is what really cemented that of I'm singing a song to you and you're going to fall in love with me as a person as opposed mm-hmm. to just my music. Right. And um, I feel like this song, even though it's not their best work, does that very well of helping to create that culture. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's interesting that you say that uh, about singing directly to the listener because it's not something that I'd really noticed, but in the past, and even songs like sang by groups like the Beach Boys or uh, just the one that we talked about um, uh, just, well, last two weeks, rather, uh, Beach Boys and uh, Jimmy Glimmer, you know, those two mm-hmm. songs, they almost sound like they're they're being sung... And they're being sung to someone, but it's not the listener. It's like a, you're a third party watching this uh, go down between two separate people. And it's the singer and who they're singing to. And so I really think that's very interesting that you've kind of that you point that out where it's this is the Beatles singing directly to the person who's listening to kind of uh, build on that fangirl or fan guy, whoever uh, aspect of. Hey, you know, this is this is for you. This is who I'm singing to. I'm not singing to someone else that you don't know about that and you're just watching on the sidelines. You're part of the song. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the music also serves perfectly into that. It's safe, but it's just rambunctious enough to maybe itch their parents' ears a little bit, right? <laughs> sure. And this is like this is not to be negative or anything, but it's kind of a proven fact with teenagers um, that if you give them something that their parents don't like, they're more likely to gravitate towards it. Right. And this I is actually, there's a psychological reason for that. Um, that it has to do with um, endorphins and it's, it's insane how scientific that actually is. Right. Sure. Um, so this song, the style it was played in, it was just safe enough to be like no one could really say anything negative against it, mm-hmm. but it was also just edge enough to really make the public love it. Yeah, and um, no doubt it felt super oversaturated now back then. Like we think, you know, Nickelback and Coldplay were oversaturated ten mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah, yeah, they had nothing on this because they were only <laughs> like three radio stations. Oh well, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and, you know, so you were, you were mentioning the lyrics and how it showcases their, the duo's songwriting capabilities, but, you know, I, I just thought they were pretty repetitive, you know, like the vocal melody is pleasing, but the lyrics themselves are like, meh, like block, it's just not my, not my cup of tea, you know, I'm sure the context uh, like you're presenting of the 60s, the lyrics weren't, you know, um, like they, it was just enough. It was just what they were going for. But it's just they they feel like something that they're not meant to be really focused on, you know, like uh, like in the 60s, lyrics weren't really the focus of the music. It was more like the song that you hear in a background of a party and you're just like having a having a good time. And you're dancing around and it's just it's not like. The front and center performance is the lyrics. Um, so to me, that this this is a song that plays, but not a whole lot of people are are listening so close to the lyrics. Do you know what I'm saying there? Oh, I would totally agree. So if um, you actually go back to interviews from Paul McCartney and even John Lennon, they will say, um, for one, it's important to remember these guys were like 
20, 21 when they were writing this stuff, if not younger. Right. They were ridiculously young. That's impressive mm-hmm. in and of itself. Two, though, um, they would be like, yeah, we'd sit in our hotel room and we're going to write a song that'll get us a, a pool. Here's our pool song. Right. Hey, we're going to write a song that's going to get us a new car. Here's our car song. And that's literally how they wrote songs. They knew exactly what to write to get people interested. Right. Um, and I agree. Um, it's not like the most interesting, but as far as innocent love songs go, I love it because I'm a sucker for, you know, silly ditty love songs of which I personally believe Paul McCartney is a slight master mm-hmm. at, um, mm-hmm. you know, the silly love song, if you will. Right, right. Well, uh, well, we kind of both hit on the, the lyrics a little bit. What did you think about the music? Um, musically, so the biggest thing, honestly, this is very standard pop music. Um, all you got to do is switch around the instruments or switch around um, the production. And this could easily be a, um, oh, who was that other British boy band that was really big in just the recent history? One Direction. Oh, yeah. Um, this could be a One Direction song easily. Yeah, um, I would agree. It's with that. it's a very it's very um, it's well made pop music that is um, it's just it's almost like the lyrics. It's made to do exactly what they set out to do. It's not meant to be groundbreaking. It's not meant to go out and shake up the music world. It's meant to appeal to a mass audience and get them a house with a pool. Right. Yeah. Um, the, in fact, the, the as far as the music goes, the production is the only thing I feel like that holds it back. It does mm-hmm. have a, a vintage kind of dated production. Um, that's just, you know, they're using a four track recorder and a bass that's made out of a violin body. Right. Right. Um, they're using bare minimum analog recording. Some people love that sound. And I personally love the analog sound, but you're not going to hear us on the radio and think it was made in the past 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's kind of it's interesting that you say that. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people who are Beatles fans and uh, are now very upset that you've compared the Beatles to One Direction. (laughs) So let me say this um, on that note. The Beatles and One Direction both started out as a very similar band, um, with the exception of one wrote their music, one had other people write their music. Mm -hmm. I personally don't think who writes the music is as important. However, the difference between the Beatles and One Direction is the Beatles evolved and grew, and in the span of just six years, mm-hmm. completely changed everything about themselves, wrote different music. In fact, they have another song coming up on number one that we're going to talk about in a few episodes. Yeah. Whereas One Direction and other boy bands like them never evolved. They never went beyond just appealing to that girl demographic. Yeah. And I feel like that's where the big difference is. If this was the last song we ever heard from the Beatles, I wouldn't probably care about them as much. I'd be like, yeah, they were a decent band. But the fact that they evolved and changed and grew and um, did things differently as time progressed Mm -hmm. is what really sets them apart. Okay. Yeah, I I definitely see the difference there. That's that's a really good point in terms of it's like, yes, they are. Uh, they they started out in this in similar ways, but it's where you what you do with fame and what you do with uh, the time that you have in your band that's really going to set you apart uh, from the mainstream. Yeah, so um, this is a little band that stuck around forever, shrouded in myth and legend. 
um, you know, the surviving members of the, uh, you know, Ringo Starr and Paul McCartney, as well as the people surrounding him, do their best to make the band a mythology. That's their whole entire deal. Um, it's like they're basically their own little superhero story now. Right. And um, with that said, is this song a perfect song? I don't know. Probably not. But 50 years later, it's still being sung. So does it yeah. really matter? <laughs> That's fair. Um, so my final thoughts on it. Music, I give it a two. It's simple but effective. I'm very straightforward. Yeah. Um, 2.5 on the lyrics. Um, I know I said they weren't like groundbreaking lyrics, but they're perfectly mm-hmm. formed to appeal to that demographic and make it feel like it was a song sung to them instead of at them. Um, I think this is what I call craftsmanship. Um, there's an artist I really love named Jason Martin. And mm-hmm. he, he says, I don't believe there's anything as artistic inspiration. I believe it's craftsmanship. You learn it just like you learn to be a carpenter. Right. Um, and while I don't agree with that, every word in that statement, I agree that this is a perfectly crafted song, rather you like it or not. Sure. Um, and overall, I give it a 2.5. The dated production gives it a, uh, it gives it a very 1960 sound, but mm. it's, like I said, it's still being sung 50 years later. So it's as close to timeless as you're going to get. So overall, yeah. a seven out of nine is what I give it. So, um, yeah, I definitely, uh, changed up, uh, a couple of things like, so music, I definitely really enjoy the music, like I had said, uh, so I give that a two. Lyrics, I just thought they were they were very forgettable. They were those lyrics that just did not need to be. Um, I, I don't know. There was just a lot left to be desired, so I gave that a one. And so when it came to the overall score, I decided to just split the difference and give it a one and a half, one point five, with a total score of four point five. Fair enough. And I appreciate you're. It's probably better that you're doing this conversation with me. Because, like I said, I am a fan. I'm going to fanboy a little bit, you know. Right. Um, so I'm glad you're here to balance that out just ever so slightly. <laughs> well, you know, overall, it's this is not a track that's going to get me to love the Beatles. Um, but to it, it's it's just not going to change my mind. But, you know, uh, in in a couple weeks' time, when we listen to uh, Hey Jude, when it comes up, I think that's going to be, maybe maybe that's the song to make me a believer. I don't know. Um, but I guess, you know, that's what this show is so great about. You know, we take songs that maybe we don't love and from artists that maybe we don't really enjoy, uh, and artists that we really do enjoy, like something like the beach boys for me, um, and think critically about them and really get into the meat of what makes them good or what made them popular at the time. So I I really like it. I, I really like doing this. Oh, yeah. It is an absolute blast. And for anyone, everyone out there listening, thank you so much. We will uh, talk to you again next week. All right. next Till next week. Till next week. As always, this has been a Brothers King Media production.